Today's sermon, I mean, last week I had buckets and I had pictures of mountains. And uh, if you weren't here for the first part of this series, then, then you should go back and you should listen to it online. It's one of my best sermons ever. Um, and you, I, I would be, you, people are like, oh, he can't say that. That's arrogant. I just know when it's good and when it's bad. Sometimes in the middle of sermons, I'm like, you're boring. Can you stop? Can you sit down now? Just get the band back up here. They were doing a good job. Uh, but last week was really good. And, and I hope you'll go listen to it. It's about worship and and what that should look like in a corporate context. Um, today's sermon is very different. I don't have any buckets. I don't have any pictures of mountains. I just kind of want to maybe wrestle with you. And it's it's one of those sermons that that just I couldn't make the it click. It just, there was no hook in my head when I'm looking at the passage. There was nothing that like jumped out at me as like, this is, this is what you say. This is what you preach. Here's the rhyme. You know how I like to give you a rhyme sometimes. Like none of that. And I was wrestling. None of it was coming to me. It was very difficult. And here's my theory. I think that the reason that this passage of scripture proved so difficult in preparation for me is because I'm going to talk about two things that are kind of on opposite sides. And, uh, and as you'll see as we kind of go through, uh, if you look at this in one way, then it looks like a contradiction in this passage. And I came to the conclusion that one of the reasons this passage proved so difficult in my thinking is because I, growing up in a church, going to a Christian school, going to another Christian college, um, I have never really heard this hashed out. And, and I guess I've only seen the two lies that this passage of Scripture kind of fights against, but I've never seen anybody say, look, these two lies both are lies. I've seen lots of people say one side, this is a lie, and I've seen a lot of other people say, well, this side is a lie, but I've never really heard them talked about in the same sermon or the same class or the same conversation, and, and so it was difficult for me because, because usually I come to a passage of scripture and, and I'm, I know a lot about the Bible at this point, and, and I kind of have some background, and I'm kinda, it's like I kind of have an idea of, of what God is saying, and, and before I even really start to study, I kind of have... I kind of know what the point is. This time it's like, man, I don't know. Like, is Paul in Galatians 5 where we'll be looking, is he contradicting himself? And, and the truth is, I feel this kind of contradiction in myself and I see it all around me. And in this series, my goal, and we're just two weeks, and we'll come back to the series in another year because it's really just spurred my interest on, and I don't want to leave it alone, but it's, it's on the spirituality of Christianity. And, and my goal in the series was really to take a look and, and, and see why does it seem like in Christian circles, spirituality has been sucked dry, and what is kind of the spirituality of Christianity? We know what it is in other religions, especially Eastern religions. We can see it in things like yoga. We can see it in things like Eastern meditations and things like that. But, but what is it for Christianity? What's, what's our spirituality? And it's a hard question. And what we're going to talk about today isn't exactly where I thought this series would go or something that I would talk about. But I think it's really important because it's different than any other religion in the world. It, it's something that separates us, but it's not often seen in churches because we go to one side or the other. And let me just give it to you. It's this, it, it's this tension, really, 
between legalism, a set of rules where people say, look, if you want to get on God's good side and you want to follow God, then you need to go down this list and you need to do these things and you need to do it this way, usually our way, the way of the person talking. And if you can follow this checklist and do all of this stuff, then you'll be on God's good side. You'll get to go to heaven. Everything can be happy. You can be a righteous person. You won't have to sing to God, holiness, holiness is what you long for, so take my life. You can just be that person by going down our set of rules and doing all the stuff that we say you need to do. We've seen this quite clearly in church, right? If you've been around a church at all, even if you haven't been around a church, you already assume that this is your first time in a church this morning. You already assume that that's who I am and that's how I think and and that's probably what you were expecting in a sermon today. Like follow this rule and do this thing and then God will be happy with you. On the other side, more popular today, is this kind of attitude that says do whatever you want. And most non-Christians will kind of fall into this category today, but even within the church, we're starting to see this, and the thing that I hear just way, way too often nowadays is, doesn't God just want me to be happy? And whenever you hear somebody say that, basically what they're saying is, I know what I should do, but I'm not going to do it, and I need a good excuse, and the excuse is, God just wants me to be happy, so I'll do whatever I want, and I'll kind of put God into that box, and he knows this is what makes me happy right now, and so I can do whatever I want to do. And people on this side say things like, doesn't God just want me to be happy? The other big one that that irritates people who are like in pastoral ministry, like, I just don't feel convicted about it. Like, oh, I don't care how you feel, but that's another sermon a different day. But it's like, I just don't feel wrong about it. I feel good about it. And so it must be right, even though I know what God says about it. I just don't feel convicted about it. And you have this side of people that says, look, the word of God, the Bible, it's, it's a nice guide and maybe I'll get around to following it, but, but it's not that big a deal if I don't and I can kind of just do whatever I want. I'm saved by grace and God will forgive me eventually and it'll all work out and everything will be okay. And I think, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you feel like both sides of this are wrong. And maybe you've never identified it as a spiritual thing. Maybe you've just looked at this as a cultural thing. It's like this tension between Christian and non-Christian. But, but even within the church, even in our own church, I know that we have this tension inside of us. We have this feeling sometimes, even within me, not just between people, but within me, where it's like sometimes I'm like, man, God has standards for me, and I need to try to follow this list. And on the other side, I'm like, but I'm free, and the Bible tells me I'm free, and we'll read that in a minute. And so what does that even mean? Because I grew up, if I had to pick a side, I grew up in a, in a church culture that was more on this side over here, saying follow these rules. But I've seen the dangers of this side as well, and it's like inside of me somewhere, it's like, am I really free if I have to do all of that? But if I just live like this, then I don't look anything like Jesus, and I'm not sure that it really matters to be a Christian at all. And this is pretty much what Paul seeks to answer 
And I'm just going to wrestle a little bit with you this morning, and hopefully something intelligent will come out. Usually, um, the theme verse, verse of my preaching is not, in my weakness, God's power is made perfect, but today, that's, that's just kind of the idea, because as we look at this passage, I'm going to try to use an analogy, and I'm not even sure it's worked. I've bounced it off a couple of people in the church before I got here, and, and you might go, wow, that made me more confused, and I have no idea what he said. It's not going to be nearly as good as the buckets in the mountains from last week, I can promise you that. But I think, and this is what I want to get at, I don't want you to stop listening because of that, because I think this is really important. What I want to get at is that this is an extremely spiritual issue. And you cannot live out the spirituality of Christianity if you're saying, I can do whatever I want and nothing matters and God will forgive me and I'm saved by grace and I don't feel convicted. And you cannot live out the spirituality of Christianity if you are going down a checklist and just saying, I gotta do this and I gotta do this and I gotta do this and if I don't, God's not gonna be very happy with me. You will never, and I think this is one of the problems with the world is when they look at Christians, what are the two things you always hear? Like, oh, they're so boring and they follow all the rules and they have all these rules and I just don't wanna live by those rules or, oh, they're just a bunch of hypocrites who don't actually live out what the Bible says. And so the world's looking at us and they're looking for something in the middle. And we're kind of trapped because when we go this side, there's people like mad at us. And when we go to that side over there, people are mad at us. And, and more and more in our society, it's like, well, you have these rules and we don't like your rules. And on this side, it's like, well, they don't, they don't do what they say they should do. And it's like this impossible tension. And here's, I'll get to what Paul says, but, but just before we get there, this is um, the first 12 verses of Galatians 5. Paul spends talking about how Christians need not be circumcised. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, How adult, uh, adults that convert to Christianity don't need to be circumcised. And we all praise the Lord for that. And, And in Paul's ministry, he spends a great deal of time. And actually, you may not know this, but this is a really good insight to your Bible reading and just understanding the Bible. Much of what Paul writes in the Bible, we look back on and we don't have a clue why he's writing it. But much of what he writes is actually in response to a group of people called Judaizers who tried to force the laws of the Jewish people, the Israelite nation, onto people who converted to Christianity. And I would say even a majority of what Paul writes, is the, the reason for his letters is kind of geared towards saying, look, time out. You Gentile, non-Jewish people do not need to follow the rules of the Israelite nation, the Jewish people. Almost a majority of what's written in the New Testament and here's uh, the other two things. He, he talks about food. They don't need to eat like the Jewish people when they convert to Christianity if they're not Jewish people. And he talks about holidays. They don't need to have the same holidays. They can celebrate Christmas and not Hanukkah and that's our modern context and all of that stuff. And so Paul spends a bunch of time and he spends 12 verses talking about how Christians, adult converts to Christianity do not need to be circumcised. And then this is what he says in Galatians five thirteen through 15. You ready? You, my brothers and sisters, We're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Doesn't it feel like, I mean, already there's like that tension, right? I mean, you're already like, can you say that? Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. 
But Paul says, be free, but don't do whatever you want. I mean, just right up front, that's what he says to us in our American mindset of freedom. That's very difficult. But again, let me just say, what he's saying they're being set free from is kind of this list of rules, these things that they need to do in order to be Christians. You don't need to get circumcised. You don't need to follow the Jewish holidays. You don't need to eat just like a Jewish person wants you to eat in order to be a godly person that is living out the tenets of Christianity. And so Paul, being a very smart man and understanding, probably it sounds like even our modern day context and the way that we think and the way that we want to rationalize our sinful behavior, says, but time out. Don't use that freedom... Don't use that freedom to indulge in the flesh. Now here's the gospel. Let me just tell you the gospel. The gospel is what we talk about in churches and that's the story of Christianity and that is that people were were dead in their sin. They did things wrong. We've all done things wrong. It's the easiest part of Christianity to prove to people you know there's stuff that you feel guilty about, that you feel bad about, that you feel like you'll never be able to get rid of. And Jesus looked down and he said, you're absolutely right. You're never gonna be able to get rid of that sin. You deserve to die for that sin. You deserve to go to hell for that sin. And so Jesus came and he died on a cross taking the punishment of your sin because he was totally sinless. Without sin, he never did anything wrong. He rose again on the third day to conquer sin and death, and he made it so that those who believe in him can have everlasting life, as it's sometimes said, uh, eternity in heaven. And so when Jesus died and he rose again, he set us free from having to follow a bunch of rules to get into heaven. And the Jewish people did, man. I mean, they just rule after rule after rule to stay within God's uh, good relationship, to not make God mad, to not have God turn his back on them and let them be captured by other people. I mean, they had to go rule, 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 do a bunch of stuff. And Jesus comes and he dies and he sets us free from that. But he also sets us free from sin and he sets us free from death. That's pretty good freedom and Paul knows that and he's taught that to these Galatian people and he's taught that to the other churches he teaches and he says but don't use it to indulge in the flesh now the flesh is an important idea the flesh is a reference to that bad desire that you have in you if we could demonstrate it it'd be like the bad angel on one side of you that thing that you know you ought not do and Paul is saying look you know you're free it's not like you push the good angel off your shoulder and be like I'm free now I'm gonna do whatever this one says over here the bad angel I can do whatever I want he says use your freedom instead to love people Now, this is the first effort I'm going to make because it's interesting what Paul says, and it's difficult, and I want to try to make a distinction up front. Over here on this side, there are things, rules, that people say we have to do, okay? Over here on this side, things people say we feel like doing, and we can do whatever we feel like doing. And I think somewhere, and we'll get to this more in a minute, is what you want to do. And I think one of the reasons that I struggled with this passage so much is trying to make that distinction, which came at the very end of my sermon processing and thinking, is that it's hard for me to make a distinction in the world today and the things that people try to push into our brains between what I feel like doing and what I actually want to do. But the truth is, I feel like doing a lot of things that I don't want to do at all as a Christian person. And I think what Paul is saying is, look, you don't have to do these things. 
You might feel like doing these things. But instead, let's focus on what you want to do. And we'll get to that more in a second. But as Christians, what we ought want to do is love. I defined love in a series not too long ago as them above you, as their good you pursue because of their value. And you can listen to that backslash love defined on our website. But as Christians, we recognize that Jesus loved humanity so much that he gave his life for them. He valued us so much in a relationship with us that he literally died for us. And if we are going to follow Jesus as Christians, then we are going to be willing to lower ourselves for the good of another because we see you have inherent value and worth because God created you in his image and because God loves you. And so here's a big distinction. Paul says you're free to do whatever you want. You don't have to do anything. But somewhere in the middle of being free and having to do things and doing whatever you feel like is this thing called love, this crazy little thing called love. And Paul is saying, instead of using your freedom to do whatever you feel like, do it, use it to do whatever you want. Use it to love people, to love your neighbor. Neighbor makes us ask the question, who is my neighbor? Because when you do whatever you feel like doing, you start to rationalize and you try to talk Jesus out of things. And it's like, well, he said, love my neighbor. I only have two of them, one on each side of me. And so, man, I am scotch-free. I can do whatever I want most of the time, but I got these two neighbors and I'll try to love them even though I've never met them before. And, and, and so uh, Jesus tells this story called the story of the Good Samaritan that you probably know. And I'm gonna shorten the story up for you. I'm not gonna read it to you, but basically, there is a man who is beaten and robbed and he's laying on the side of the road and two religious people come by and they pass him up because they're in a hurry and because they don't want to deal with him. And then a Samaritan person comes and Samaritans were hated by the Jews and Jesus is talking to a group of Jews when he tells this story and the Samaritan stops and he, he puts bandages on this wounded person and he takes him to a hotel and he pays for his stay in the hotel and says, I'll be back to give you more money. And Jesus looks at this Jewish audience who hates Samaritan people and says, who do you think the neighbor is? And the answer is obviously the neighbor. The neighbor is the Samaritan. And the neighbor, in other words, in Jesus' mind, is whoever is in front of you that has need. And so when Paul, who would have known that story, I guarantee you that, comes along and says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Paul is saying, love the person in front of you as you love yourself. Love summarizes the law. And so all of the have-tos can now be summed up in the want-tos of love. He continues. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want, but you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I think a better translation for us there, instead of want, is desire, to stick with my kind of threefold idea of what he's talking about. Let me just read you Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. The teaching of the New Testament is that when we believe in Jesus and we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes into us. I don't know what that means or what that looks like, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, somewhere in our spirits, the Holy Spirit comes and enjoins us and connects with us and leads us and guides us and shows us what is right and what is wrong. And so Paul says that our, the Holy Spirit, who has come inside of every Christian, 
in some way, shape, or form, is in conflict with these things of the flesh, these things that we just simply feel like doing. They're in total and utter conflict. To the point where if you do something that this fleshly nature desires, this, this feeling inside of us that says, I'll just do whatever I feel like doing, then, then we are doing something that the Holy Spirit probably doesn't want us to do. C.S. Lewis said, you are not a body with a spirit, but a spirit with a body. And sometimes we forget that when we're focusing on the have-tos. I need to do this, I need to do this. It's just the stuff that our bodies need to do. And Paul is taking our focus and saying, hey, you're not a body primarily. You're a spirit first. The body's going to go away. The spirit will last forever. And in your spirit, the Holy Spirit is connected with you. And he's leading you to do what is right and what is good and what God wants you to do. People have it backwards. They say, avoid the desires of the flesh. And Paul is saying, look, that's not your focus. Do what the Holy Spirit has called you to do. Romans 6, 20 through 22 explains it even further. And if you want really just a synopsis of this and, and a lengthier explanation of what Paul is talking about in this confusing passage of Scripture, read uh, Romans 6 through 8 in its entirety, three chapters, and it's a fuller explanation. But this is what he says in 6, 20 through 22. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Paul's saying, do whatever you feel like in the old days. That didn't do you any good at all. But now the Holy Spirit has come in you, and he's leading you and guiding you. And if you follow Him, his way and you follow him, then it leads to something good. And then if Paul has any thinking that you're going to think he's perfect and he has it figured out in Romans 7, 4 through 25. And I cut verses here to make this a little bit shorter because that's 21 verses. That's a lot to read in front of people. You can read it all and it says exactly this, but I cut out some of the details. Listen to what Paul says because he hasn't figured it out yet. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. To him who was, who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said you shall not covet. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate to do, for I do not do what I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now let me try to summarize that for you in all those words and the wants and the don't wants. Paul is usually a brilliant writer, and usually the funny part about Paul is he'll like keep these sentences going on. He does not, he does not have short little statements usually. His sentences can be lengthy and long and keep going on forever. But here he's like, I don't want to do that. I do want to do this. I don't want to do that. Don't do that. Sorry. Shouldn't have done it. Did it. Bad. Thanks, Paul. And I cut out a bunch just to make it shorter. <laughs> what Paul is saying is this. I have these desires, these things that I feel like doing, and I do them sometimes. 
And in the old days before I knew Jesus, Paul is saying, all that the rules did for me is remind me of how many things I'm doing that I know I shouldn't be doing. And they showed me that the stuff I feel like doing actually isn't good to do, but I kept doing it anyway. And now he's saying, Jesus has come into my life, and these things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do. And he ends the verse by saying, thanks be to God that Jesus has saved me. He's saying, this stuff over here is normal, it's human. We're born into it. There are these things that we feel like doing that we shouldn't do, and we all know it. I feel like yelling at people sometimes. I know I shouldn't. I don't want to do it even, but I feel like doing it sometimes. And that was from the creation of the world. After sin, people felt like doing things that they knew were wrong. And sometimes after the creation of the world, God wrote down a law for people. And the law was good because it helped people to see what they should want to live like, what they should do. But it left everybody a slave still because nobody could fulfill it. Nobody could live it out. Nobody could check all the boxes. And so they were still a slave. And Paul is showing us that if you are doing whatever you feel like doing, or if you are following a checklist, you are still a slave. The only way to break free from those two things is simply to listen to the Holy Spirit who's come inside of you and to do whatever you want to do by the guiding and leading of the Holy Spirit. Not whatever you feel like doing, not trying to follow a list, but doing what you want to do because now the Holy Spirit has indwelled you and given you the power to break free from feeling and from law. Romans 8, 12 through 14, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but this is not to the flesh, whatever I feel like doing, to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if by the Spirit... You put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Paul is saying that when you become a Christian, you learn to follow the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, you learn to listen to this voice inside of you and you have direction and guiding that allows you to do the things that you really want to do. You see, before Jesus, before, if you're not a Christian, then you have the fleshly nature over there, whatever you feel like doing, and you also have these rules over here that you don't like very much. And there's these things that you want to do, though. But without the Holy Spirit, this is what Paul is saying, you are, you are incapable of living a life of freedom because you are incapable of doing the things you want. Because the only spirit that is inside of you is your own spirit, and your own spirit will always do the things that you feel like doing or will make an effort to do the things that you have to do. But when the Holy Spirit indwells you, you are free to do what you want Because now the Holy Spirit will help you do the things that you want. People that live in this nature over here, just with their feelings, man, if you could get them alone, they could put aside their politics, and they could put aside their bad theology, and they could really have a conversation with you, I guarantee that the majority, if they were being honest with you, would say, man, this isn't what I want just what I feel like. I mean, I just feel like getting that next high. I don't want to do it. I wish I didn't have this drug habit, but I feel like it. I can't do what I want because it doesn't feel that good. Man, I, I feel like breaking up with my spouse. I know that it's not good and something inside of me doesn't want to, but these feelings are just compelling me and I gotta get out of here because I feel 
like getting out of here. Man, I don't want to look at pornography. I know that those girls are somebody's daughter. I don't want to do that, but I feel like it, and I don't have any way to break that feeling because it's all I know. And then sometimes it's like, well, I'll just try this. There's these rules and there's these things that this religion or these people say, if I just follow these rules and all this does is make you feel guilty because you can't follow the rules perfectly. And Paul is saying the answer is Jesus. Because when you accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you and there is a new power. And sometimes Christians live on one of these sides. They go, well, I just, I feel like it and I don't have the power. You do have the power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Or I just need to follow all these rules. You don't need to follow all these rules. You might want to follow some of them, but you need to follow what the Holy Spirit calls you to. Here's my analogy. We'll see if it works. I think it's like this. I think it's like baseball or softball. We've been talking about that a lot in our church because we're playing. I think you're born and you go to first base, and I don't mean that like you have a date and you're at first base. Um, you go to, so a different analogy altogether here. You're at first base when you're born, and you have these feelings and you do these things that you want to do, and you notice this really well in children, right? I mean, they just kind of do what they feel like doing, and uh, and so you're born and you're at first and, and you just kind of give in to your whims and your ways. And, and culture tries to like put you in boxes and they give you these rules. There's laws and your parents will spank you and follow these rules. But as you grow up, you know that you can't follow these rules perfectly and you still have all these feelings that you need to follow. And there's no way to get to second base. There's no way to really move on to the place you want to move on to become the person you want to be to get to home plate ultimately, which is eternal life and total satisfaction and peace and joy and all those things, you just realize you're stuck there on first base. And then Jesus comes up behind you and boom, he hits the home run. The rules are still there. You can now go to second base, third base, and eventually you can have eternal life in heaven. And there are people, there are people, even Christian people that are like, but oh man, I love first base. And, and Jesus is coming up on you and, and he's like, hey, you can run now. And you're going like, but these rules just feel so safe. I'm just gonna hang on and I'll, I'll continue to get my checklist out and do these things that God has said once or whatever it might be or my family told me I should do or the church said I should do. And I'm just gonna cling to first base. And, and that's weird, right? Because the home run has been hit and you don't have to stay there clinging to the base anymore. It's, it's dumb as a Christian to not move on. And even as a non-Christian, it's dumb not to say, hey, thanks, Jesus. I'm glad you hit that home run by dying and rising again. I'll accept that gift and I'll move on to second base. But that's how some people live. And then other people that call themselves Christians are like, yeah, freedom, baby. I'm going to right field. I'm just going to run around like a streaker, you know. I'm just, I'm going every which way because, man, freedom. Like, this is awesome, freedom. I'll do whatever I feel like doing. Jesus is like, but I have freed you for something just freed you to give in your feelings. You could have done that anyway. You could have run around in right field and got out in the first place. I mean, there was, uh, you could have done that anyway. But I freed you to go to second base and third base and home. I freed you to have 
to do what you want to do through my Holy Spirit to live the life that God has called you to, to be the person that somewhere inside of you already want to be breaking every chain and addiction that Satan and your flesh has placed over you. And I, I think that there's so many Christians holding on to first base and there's so many Christians running around in right field that the world is looking at our spirituality and they're standing next to us on first base going, man, I wish we could get to second, but you don't seem to have a plan. I mean, I wish I could experience a life where I could really live out the things that I want to do to have a healthy family and to break these addictions and to work the way that I know I should work and to be the guy and to get rid of this temper and, I mean, all these things. I just, like, go to second base. Stop holding on to first. And I think that's what Paul is saying to us. Jesus has hit the home run. You're now free to be everything that you want to be. He didn't set you free to do whatever you feel like doing. You could have done that anyway. There was no home run needed to run to right field. It does not matter. There was no home run needed for you to cling to first base. But Jesus hit the home run so that you could go to second, third, and ultimately home in heaven. Now he continues, and this is important. I would love to stop the sermon there. But this is important because he goes on to say, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, faction, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul, Paul wants us to know this that the Holy Spirit is not like these things. These are the things we feel like doing, right? Maybe we don't want to admit that, but these are the things that we simply feel like doing. And a lot of people will come along and they will say, well, look, you're free. So just do whatever you feel like doing. And Paul is saying that is not the Christian way. I mean, if that's your thinking, like I'm free, I'll run around willy-nilly, then you're not actually a Christian. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. Christians go to second base and third base and home, or at least they make an effort. You know, they might be really slow at doing it, but they're moving in the right direction. But if we're just doing whatever we feel like doing, Paul's saying that is not in line with the Holy Spirit. You're not listening to the Holy Spirit. You're not living a life that you really even want to live. And therefore, we can recognize that the Holy Spirit isn't in you and you are not a Christian person. Now he continues, and this is going to be even more important in a second. John Piper said this, A Christian is not a person who experiences no bad desires. A Christian is a person who is at war with those desires by the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, through 25, the most famous part of this passage. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, this is really important, these two kind of pictures. There's the things that we feel like, and then there's the things that we see that the Holy Spirit is like, the things that we want to be, right? I mean, don't you want love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? Raise your hand if you want those things. I don't care if you're a Christian or not a Christian. You want those things in your life, right? Now, this is important because this is Satan works, right? And this is what I found in my own life. The more I start to follow the Holy Spirit and to live for him, 
the more the whole, that, that Satan will attack me by trying to confuse what the Holy Spirit is saying to me. I have found that in my life. Once I'm like, man, I'm living without much sin in my life right now. I, I don't say that lightly. I mean, I'm living without too much sin in my life. I'm not sinless. There's still things I do, but I'm doing pretty good. Satan will come in and, and he will just start to say like, maybe God wants you to do this. And it's like, wow, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like God to me. Maybe God doesn't want you to do that. Seems like God would want me to do that. And I think Paul puts these lists here, and I, I can tell you this from my own personal experiences, because sometimes the voice in your spirit can be confusing because Satan is powerful and he is strong. And once you start to live for God, he wants to mess it up with everything in him, everything in him. And he will come in and he will put confusion. He is, he is the author of confusion. And he is alive and well in this world. And I believe this. I believe this with all my heart. That when Satan attacks, the only place that we can truly turn is the word of God. And we go, wow, does that sound like love? No. Then that's not the Holy Spirit. Does that sound like something that's going to bring joy? Then that is not the Holy Spirit. Does that sound like something that's going to bring peace? And that's not the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you this if you take away these laws, it gets a lot scarier. It's so much easier to just be a checklist Christian. Yep, 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 got it, got it. Read my Bible and prayed more. I mean, that's it. That's the key to all things Christian, right? I mean, it's so much easier to be that guy. But when you start to say, Spirit, what do you want from me? What is it that you desire from me? Then the attack comes, and then you need to look and say, man, is this loving and joyful? Does this bring peace? Is this kind? Is this gentle? Or is it immoral, impure? Is it debauchery? Is it idolatry? Is it witchcraft? Is it hatred? Is it discord? Is it jealousy? Is it fits of rage? Is it selfish ambition? Is it dissensions? Is it factions? Is it envy? Is it drunkenness? Is it orgies? Or the like, anything that feels like that. And you know those things, right? You feel like they're wrong. When you stop to think for a minute, you know that they are wrong. And Paul is saying, look, when you are following the Holy Spirit, it's going to be good. It's going to lead to good for you and it's going to lead to good for the world. Now, that doesn't mean it can always feel good. Let me make that very, very clear because following the Holy Spirit does not always feel good and it doesn't always feel safe, but it is always going to lead to good and to be good for you. When we discuss the spirituality of Christianity, I think that this is important because when we just give in to everything we feel like, we don't offer anything to the world, right? I mean, who wants that? Everybody's already doing that anyway. So when they come to a Christian church, and actually, if you, if you study the American denominations right now, you'll find that the denominations that are shrinking the fastest are the denominations that most obviously say, hey, kind of do whatever you want. And that's surprising to us, right? Because we're like, man, that sounds like a nice church to be at. I mean, I could go there. I could do what I want. I'll never have to leave feeling guilty. But every, I mean, look, secret, just because people aren't Christians doesn't mean they're stupid, right? I mean, come on. Like, they can look at me like, that looks no different than my life right now because I don't have any guilt and I don't have to listen to a lecture on Sunday mornings and I can do whatever I want without waking up early on Sunday morning. And so those churches are shrinking like 
crazy. And when we give into this rule-based kind of righteousness, I mean, we're no different than any other religion in the world, right? Because every religion has a ton of rules and a ton of things that you have to do. That's what makes a religion a religion. I mean, it's like, do this, do this, try to follow this. And, and when we buy into these lies, these things that 2,000 years ago, Paul was saying, eh, that's not really what this Christian things look like, then, then it's not spiritual anymore. It's rules or it's flesh, but it's not spiritual anymore. I said last week that one of the reasons the spirituality has been sucked out of the American church is because we have focused on the mountains, as I said last week. We've focused on the externals, the things that we can see, the lighting, the screens, the videos while we're standing, and we have thought about these things and not really learned to worship in spirit and in truth. And I think another reason that when people look at Christianity, some of the stats I gave you last week, people are being drawn to spirituality like crazy, but they're being drawn away from Christianity almost at the same rate. I think some of that is because they look at us and go, yeah, you got rules, and you got doing whatever you want, but I'm looking for something spiritual. And the spirituality of Christianity is this. We do what we want because we want what God wants, and we have the power to do it through the Holy Spirit. Rules are not spiritual. The flesh is not spiritual. I have just two quotes. We have not been set free so that we can sin, but so that we might avoid sin and its penalties. That's just one. And then 2 Peter 2.19. They promised them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. And if it's your feelings, if it's your rules, then you're a slave only freedom is in the middle with the Holy Spirit. I just want to say this. The world is desperate. I mean, can you imagine if we're a church that learns to live this out? I mean, we're not judgmental hypocrites because we're yelling at everybody to follow our rules and we're not like doing whatever we want so there's no difference. Can you just imagine like a group of Christians that, that lived doing what we want because we want what the Holy Spirit wants and we're following him and we have the power through him? People would more and more be drawn to us. I think that every time a non-Christian says, well, those Christians, they're just so legalistic, or those Christians, they're just so hypocritical. I think somewhere inside of them, they're desperately crying out for that middle thing that only Christianity can offer. And they're looking at how we're messing it up, and somewhere inside of them, they're wishing they're hoping beyond hope for something that is spiritual, something that is not rules and not flesh. And if we as a church rise up and say we won't buy into these lies that Paul tried to get rid of 2,000 years ago, but we will follow the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit, we'll start something amazing. We will start something incredible by the power of the one who has come and dwelled inside of us. Will you pray with me, Lord? I thank you for your goodness and your kindness. I thank you, God, that I think you helped me with my sermon. It sounded clearer than it did in my head before I started. I pray, Lord, that, that we would remember our freedom, but we would not use our freedom to indulge in the feelings, just the simple feelings of life. And God, I pray that, that we as Christians in this country would do something different. 
so that when people look at us, Lord, they see that the only real freedom is what we have. It's through you, Jesus. God, there's probably people sitting in front of me right now who are not free. That they have tried to follow the laws they have been taught through churches, through their parents, through culture, whatever. Or God, they are just doing whatever they feel like doing, and they are slaves. And God, this morning, I pray that you would break those chains, that you would tear those chains off of their souls, Lord, and they would be free in you to do the things that they want, to have joy and peace and kindness and love and gentleness and self-control. I pray, God, for every person here, that we would be free and we would use our freedom to do what we want, following you by your power, not using the excuse that we just can't, we just can't avoid it. We can't. God, we can avoid anything as Christians that we ought not do because we have you and let us never diminish the power of the God who created and saves. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.